Well, today we're discussing Ephesians chapter 2. In this first section, the Apostle Paul seems to take us on a journey from our past, where he says we were dead in our transgressions and sins, and into the present, where we live in and by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've, I've had some conversations with uh, some young adults and also with some older people recently in which they actually struggle with the concept of sin altogether. And, and their comments about their lifestyle choices revolve around the idea that, well, it's not that bad. And so when referring to things that Christians, I think, in the past would have typically considered sinful, they don't recognize that it's actually that bad for them. And in fact, I recently had a conversation with a person who was not a Christian. And this person struggled with the concept of sin, especially with the idea that the Bible says that all sin is evil. Or as Paul says in verse 3, that we were deserving of wrath. That sounds very American. It's wrath. Very wrath, wrath right? Yep. <laughs> uh, and I think as human beings, we like to rank sin from the very worst sins to the sins that, well that aren't that bad, you mm. know? And most people, I think, think of themselves as generally pretty nice people. We're not axe murderers, most of us. So does sin really matter that much? And so I wanted to start with these two questions. First of all, how can we grasp the idea that all sin is equal in God's eyes and deserving of wrath? And then secondly, is it fair that his grace then would equally cover everyone's sins? Yeah, man, big questions, Randall. Gee, mm. um, well, just just as an initial thought to start, I remember uh, hearing a pastor talk about this, how he had, was talking to someone on, on the plane once that he was sitting next to, and that person kind of expressed the same sort of view that you're talking about, that they they really didn't see themselves as a sinner in any sense. They didn't they, they knew they weren't perfect, but they, they didn't think they were that bad. And he said to them, well, okay, so so out of a hundred, where would you where would you sort of rate yourself? And the person came in, I think somewhere in the 60s, you know, which I think they felt like was a safe bet because you don't want to go under 50, you know, you, yeah, don't, that's right. you, don't, you don't know what's <laughs> under 50. And then he said, because it was this pastor had, had travelled quite a bit, and he said, well, I, I, I once travelled to Calcutta and managed to talk with Mother Teresa and asked her the same question. And she only put herself, I think, in the 30s out of 100. So, so would you like to change your answer? <laughs> And this guy then sort of thought for a while and I think revised his number down to somewhere in the 20s or something because you don't want to suggest that you're better than Mother Teresa. But the point he was making is so much of the time, how good or bad we think we are depends on comparing ourselves to each other or comparing ourselves mm -hmm. to people that we have heard of, you know, whether yeah. they're really good people like Mother Teresa or bad people you know hitler stalin and so on and we we kind of rate ourselves and i think this is and and people end up in a, in a range of places on that spectrum don't they from people that then come away feeling like they're quite good to people that do feel miserable about themselves because i'm, I'm nothing like mother Teresa was but the the common problem to me is the same regardless mm. of of any of those answers is that we're measuring ourselves against the wrong thing or against the wrong person which is that ultimately and i think this is this is more what paul i think brings out in romans 3 uh, that all have sinned because we fall short of the glory of god that god is our reference point that the holiness the the righteousness of god that is that is the bar that is the standard but that is a difficult thing for, for people to grasp in, in contemporary culture isn't it it was interesting there's a book that came out a few years ago uh, by a guy called Jerry Bridges, and it was called Respectable Sins. Hmm. 
and in that he sort of talked about the fact of uh, some of the things that he classified as sins like anger and envy and you know some of those sorts of things and yet for most people they probably don't actually see those things as, as being sinful anymore and in mm. society some of those sorts of things we wouldn't probably many people wouldn't think they're sins at all that they're just normal behavior it's what everybody does and and so therefore he sort of called them that idea of a respectable mm. sin and, and i think that's that's really the the whole concept in it and it sort of illustrates what you talked about randall is that lots of people don't see those sorts of things as sin everyone else does these things they're not really super yeah. bad yeah. like you said i mm-hmm. haven't killed anyone so it's not that bad so therefore it becomes acceptable or respectable and i think in many ways we have done that we sort of in our own minds classified sins and some of them aren't actually really that bad so therefore let's not worry about them too much Mm. yeah uh some things are really bad uh but you know most of us just do the the minor things and therefore it's not really sin and we have that idea in society and i think therefore we almost assume well that must be how god sees things as well yeah i definitely think that that's that goes through people's minds that's how people view this ranking of sin is is like what i do actually it's not it's not that big a deal it's not that bad um but reuben you said in the in the message um that we have grossly underestimated the seriousness of our of our condition when it comes to sin and i Mm. i thought that was kind of hard to grasp to put my head around that grossly (laughs) underestimated this this idea because like michael says i haven't killed anybody recently Mm -hmm. you know and so yeah you know how do you match up our need for god's grace Mm. in the midst of our ranking of sin yeah yeah it is challenging and I i think it's challenging just at a human level because there's a lot of people that already feel really bad about themselves and struggle with feeling awful about themselves and the last thing i ever want to do is beat people up more and make them feel terrible but what i was trying to bring out is that to get to the good news you do have to go through that that tunnel you do have to go through that recognition and i think the more that you recognize the 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 depth of the pit that we are all in then you're going to be all the more grateful for the hand that reaches down and lifts you out if you don't really think you're in much trouble to begin with the solution is, is not going to be that well received. But when you realize that, that we are all um, just desperately uh, sinful in our lives and that it's not a case of uh, just missing the mark in one or two areas, but it's the, it's the, it's the fact that we are, we're born with this nature of sin. We're born with this distorted and twisted and corrupted nature of sin that just gives us a proclivity always to create and worship idols rather than worshiping the one true God. And and I think sin in scripture is tied to idolatry. And, and that's another mm, word we don't like to use that much. And perhaps to, to a non-Christian that wouldn't mean very much. But I think arguably all sin is at its root some form of idolatry. That is raising something else up in the place of God, which could be self. Mm. It could be me. It, it, yeah. could be, it could be just raising me up. I think that's essentially what Adam and Eve did was raise up their own self-interest and make that make themselves into an idol. Those idols, of course, could be any other number of things as well, other any other uh, thing, any other person, any other religion, false gods that we put 
before and above the one true God. Uh, and we are doing this every day, just simply by turning our hearts towards other things than God, uh, becoming less interested in the ways of God and more interested in just living our own self-interested mm. lives, really. And all of that, you know, it's not a comfortable message, but all of that does bring us under the wrath and the judgment of God. Uh, and, you know, if, if God was perfectly just and fair and gave us exactly what we deserve, we, we would be eternally separated mm. and cut off and mm. condemned, and we would spend eternity alienated from his, from his presence, simply because that's what our sins deserve. So that's mm. that's the that's the yeah. tough that's the tough yeah. news. It is, but it is only half the message. And yeah, I, I've been reading through the book of Leviticus recently, and in Leviticus it's really interesting because it talks about it talks a lot about the holiness of God and the standard that God requires. But then it goes through and it lists a whole lot of different uh, requirements in terms of people's behaviour and in terms of some of the things that are required. And, and I'm I'm not for a moment saying that as New Testament Christians, we are to follow those Old Testament requirements. Mm. But it just reminded me again of how significant sin is in terms of breaking that relationship mm. with God. Mm. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that we deliberately do, and even some things that we omit to do, mm. that actually creates that barrier between yep. us and God. Yep. And that we can very, very quickly find ourselves separated from God because God is holy and we are not. And um, Leviticus is a good reminder about the greatness of the God that we serve mm. and also how far short we have fallen yeah. of what God actually wants us to be doing. Mm. Yeah. 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 And uh, sorry, I was going to say that just reminded me of something that that really important point you're making that sin is, is not just about breaking rules. It's often how we see it, you know, these commandments that we've broken. But at its heart, it's about breaking a relationship with God. Right. You know, mm. it's not just about doing bad mm -hmm. things. But it's the problem of our relationship with yep. God that we're breaking faith with Him. We're doing we're doing things that are causing us to be separated from Him, and that that's really what God is most concerned about. These things alienate us from His presence, and that's at the heart what sin is. Yeah, I've not really often heard a reference to Leviticus when discussing the grace of Ephesians, <laughs> yes. but you make really good points there. Yeah, that that our sin breaks that relationship mm. with God, and I was just thinking as you both were talking about how sin ultimately is always selfish mm. as well. It's always self-centered in that sense. And so, yeah, mm. very interesting. Mm. What was intriguing to me was the same person that struggled with the concept of sin and whether they were evil just because they had committed, in their mind, small sins. Mm. Uh, later on, a couple of weeks later, we were discussing other topics, and the idea of guilt came up. Mm. And this person said that... One of the biggest things they struggle with is overcoming guilt. Mm -hmm. So it was fascinating to me, really, that they didn't think they were sinful, but they struggled with overcoming guilt. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So in some sense, they they recognize that there is there is something there. There's some, yeah, there's, some, there's something there that's yeah. causing that them to feel guilty about that, even even right. if they don't feel like it's a it's a major problem. Yeah, and and I think that the problem the problem with guilt is that I sort of see it in two ways. There's there's our objective guilt before God, where, whereby we are guilty. You know, the reality is, objectively, we have sinned. We've fallen short of God's glory. Mm -hmm. Human Humanity stands guilty before God. We are culpable of, uh, of breaking his law. And so we are deserving of his judgment. 
But I think where, where the negative side of guilt comes in is, and maybe this kind of segues us into the message of grace, is that as we, when we have received the grace of God into our lives and we become children of God, then when that guilt continues to linger in our lives, mm-hmm. then it's a false guilt. You know, because at that point that we become believers, we receive Christ's forgiveness. Our objective guilt is taken away. That's atoned for. Christ bore that guilt on the cross, and he's he suffered the consequence of it. Um, but we we all know, and this is perhaps where your friend was coming from, that experientially we we carry this this guilt with us. And uh, of course, it depends whether or not that person is in that relationship with Christ. But but for those that are, and that guilt lingers, that's that's when we then need to come to those passages that remind us we are forgiven. And you know, another one that comes to mind is Romans eight. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and I think it, it sometimes takes a long time when we've been feeling guilty for years and years and years. I don't know that just becoming a Christian automatically means that tap of guilt is turned off in terms of our feelings. It can take a long time for us to be reprogrammed and come to really deeply receive and believe that God's grace really is that good, mm. that it can deal with it. Yeah, I mean, God, God's grace is so vastly opposite to what we hear about in the in the messages that we receive in the mm. world. Mm. It is a challenge, I think, to, to let go of that and to truly understand God's grace mm. in that sense. And it's interesting that when I talk to people that have become Christians who would say they've experienced God's grace, you say, well... What does it mean to you to be a Christian? And often it's all these things that they have to do in order to ensure that they are mm. truly going to be properly saved. And uh, it's almost like we know about God's grace, mm. but I think at times the way we live our lives, we're always working to try and make sure that we do the right thing before God so that we can actually prove ourselves that we actually are right before God. Whereas mm. if we understand grace properly, actually we don't have to do anything. God has done it all for us. Mm. Yeah. And that, you know, we can work as hard as we want to become better, but it's actually what God has done for us, which is expressed in his grace shown towards us, that actually changes everything. Mm. And But so many Christians are just caught up in that treadmill mm. of always having to do better so that they can be acceptable before God. Yeah, yeah, yeah I totally yeah. agree. I think that's a huge problem. I think I think a lot of Christians um, have started by grace, and they've gone on by works. You know, mm. they, they've they've started out receiving the grace of God, but they basically live one way or another. Like their relationship with God depends on what they do now. And for some people, they perhaps feel like they're doing enough. The the majority of people that I speak to, and, and probably you guys don't feel like they're doing enough and so then that's where the guilt comes in the the guilt just comes back and then the other one that sits beside guilt is the shame of feeling like i can't do enough and uh you know guilt is is that sense of i've done something wrong shame is that sense of i am something wrong it goes even deeper uh that i i've i've messed up so much god could never forgive me and never love me again and i think that's where a lot of people including christians sadly live because we default back to some way of measuring our relationship with God by our spiritual performance. And this is where we've we've got to recognize that it's not just grace at the beginning. It's grace all the way along. And yes, God wants to transform our lives. And yes, God wants us to submit to the power of the Spirit and, and change in our, in our character and so on. 
But all of this is by the grace of God, and it comes out of an assurance that we are already forgiven, and we're already secure in the love of God. We already have that relationship, and we're reconciled to the Father, and we're established in his love. And I think when you have that foundation, and keep coming back to that foundation, it's so it's 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 a far more solid foundation, I think, to build a life upon. If you just try and get to the top of the the hill of, you know, righteousness, just by doing good works and just sheer willpower alone, it just never gets you there. But I think for a person who's really allowed God's grace to go deep into their lives, it actually does change us. It it brings about that transformation, because we are so grateful for what God has done that it begins to show in our lives and we. We uh, participate with God in that work of transformation that he's doing. But I, I just think that's a key message for, for Christians too. It's a lifelong journey, isn't it? Learning to live by the grace of God, not just have grace at the beginning and then kind of default back to something. Well, I think there's a lot more we could say about good works and how they apply to our lives. And do mm. we do we do anything with works? Mm. And uh, rather than discuss that now with chapter two, I think that's going to come up more and more throughout the rest of the book of Ephesians. Yep. So. Well, let's look at the second message he gave in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with uh, verse 11 there. This passage was so interesting because the Apostle Paul, um, he really highlights the divisions between humanity. But he does this in order to point us to the fact that the work of Jesus actually breaks down the barriers Mm. between us. And he's specifically speaking of the Jews and the Gentiles, I think. But as you said, Gentiles is a big word for anyone who's not a Jew. Mm. But there's divisions between all of humanity, really. And you seem to zero in on this verse 15. The purpose of Jesus was to create one new humanity out of the two. And I wondered practically, how do we participate in bringing about this new humanity? Mm. Yeah, I, I did I did focus on that phrase in verse 15. And uh, I think probably some of the older translations there say one new man, which is, which is literally what, what Paul's saying. But his thought is obviously broader than an individual because he's talking about the, these two groups, Jews and, and everybody else, being brought together as one new humanity. And I think it struck me because of that sense of, of God making his church to be something that shows the world what human relationships were always supposed to be, like God's original created intent for humanity. And that's what the church is supposed to be. That's what is supposed to be on display in our relationships with each other and then the way that we relate to to the world and i think at the most practical level what i tried to bear out in the message is i think for for each of us it's to think about what does it mean for me to reach out to and seek to connect with someone who is other than i am someone who is unlike me in in some way you know if you bring down to the most practical level that that i think would be Maybe the best step to think about is, mm. is who, who, and maybe someone within the church community or someone else, someone in our workplace, because this is who we're supposed to be in every area of our lives. But who are the ones who are not like me? And how can I take some steps towards them? And how can I do that in a way that is not condescending and not patronizing? Because I think that's the challenge too. Sometimes we, sometimes there's yeah. a little power play that happens here, and we can sort of, you know, let me let me serve you from my superior position, you know. And you've got to sort of break through all of that and realize, no, no, this is not about me sort of coming down to someone else's level. This is about us being on the same level, but just recognizing those differences and my tendency to drift apart from other people, and and trying to be proactive. So, yeah, what could that look like? I guess a hundred different things. Mm. Could just be conversation. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, connecting with people, just who we tend to gravitate towards in, in, in various social circles, being inclusive, perhaps of people that are more on the outside, uh, and just recognising that all that in one way or another is an expression of what Paul's talking about here, the new humanity. Mm. And I think for most of us, we probably would be classified as Gentiles according to this criteria here. Mm. And so therefore, we probably don't actually understand the true difference between Jew and Gentile and how much that separation actually really meant mm. in Old Testament time. And, you know, as was brought out in the sermon, what what was it that the a male Jew would, one of the things he would thank God for, that he was not a Gentile. Mm. And so it really shows how separated the Gentiles were from God and how separated they were from the Jews, and how it was very much a second-class citizen to be a Gentile. And that if you read through parts of the Old Testament, you are very much on the outside, literally on the outside. You know, you could not go and worship in the temple Mm. as a Jew would. Mm. There are certain festivals that you Mm. were excluded from fully participating in because you were a Gentile. So the the division that is there is huge. And for us in New Zealand, we don't see that sort of sense of division, I suspect, to the level that it was very clear within that society. And the amazing thing about the grace of God that Paul talks about is the fact that those divisions were totally broken down, mm-hmm. that there became no distinction as far as God was concerned between a Jew and a Gentile. Mm-hmm. They were equal. All the rights and privileges of a Jew were now being passed on to a Gentile mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was quite incredible what mm-hmm. was taking place yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, no, it was extraordinary. And and uh, that comment just made me think uh, around, you know, you think of the temple in Jerusalem. There was there was literally a dividing wall, mm, yeah, you know, between, right. between. So Paul yeah. talks about the, the dividing wall of hostility, you know, for the Jewish mind, they would have thought, well, yeah, of course, because in, in the temple, there is the there is the court of the Gentiles and the Gentiles are allowed to go to that bit. But then there's a huge, huge wall, a huge gate. And uh, I believe, if I, if, if I remember rightly, I think there, there was even a sign at that point in the temple, you know, threatening threatening life if you dared to cross over into the into the Jewish part of the temple and Gentiles just couldn't go any further. So it was very much that dividing wall that was there and it just reinforced that we're in and you're out. And I like what you said there that in a sense, you know, for all of us who are not Jewish, we we, we should be humble enough to recognize that we've been brought in, mm-hmm. you know, just mm-hmm. purely by the yeah, grace of yeah. God. That we we yeah. were outsiders. We are these people. Yeah. Yeah. We're all we were all alienated and separated and cut off and outside. But we've been as Paul in Romans eleven talks about, you know, we've been grafted in. We've, we've had the privilege of now being grafted into the story. So we should be humble with that and not have any sense of pride and superiority and arrogance, but now just seek to show that same inclusive spirit to all people. You see that tension with the apostles when you're reading other parts of the New Testament where they had that real tension, like with Peter, you know, mm. how do I be a Jew? And how do I also then speak into the lives of the Gentiles mm. and accept mm. them as brothers and mm. sisters in Christ? Yeah. But yet they're not Jews, and he he carried out that tension, you know. He yeah. Struggled with yeah. that tension. Yeah. And was challenged by Paul on, on that tension yeah. a lot. So, yeah. yeah. And it just and it just shows you how deep that ran. Even the apostles struggled with yeah. this. You know, that's like right. this was it was just so big for them, and this is just how they'd grown up and how it had been for generations. Mm. So it's it's a, it's a huge it was a huge journey for them, and it would have been a huge journey for Paul as well. 
I mean, you think back to his own conversion on the Damascus Road, and Jesus says to him, "By the way, Paul, now I'm sending you to the Gentiles. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> those those Completely people, you, opposite. those people yeah. you've hated all your life." And uh, and yet, I think of one of those passages in his letters. I can't remember where it is, where he says, "You know, I present my my goal is now to present the Gentiles as 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 a fragrant offering in in Christ." You know that he's got mm-hmm. to that point of recognizing they're so valued, God loves them equally, and uh, and and their lives are now this offering to to God. So he was on his own journey with us too. Yeah, Paul. But I also wonder, in terms of us as Christians today, you know, we're easy to say, oh, well, you know, when these Jews became Christians, that they put all these unnecessary expectations upon people like circumcision mm. and feasts and those sorts of things and said, yeah, you might be Christian, but you have to do these sort of Old Testament things as well. In their churches today, I wonder whether we, by default, can often do the same things. We say, yeah, you became a Christian by grace, but here's what you need to do. Here's all these things you have to do. Yeah. You know, you've got to attend church every single Sunday. You've you've got to give to the church. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And uh, even though in and of themselves, there might not be anything wrong with those things. But how often do we put the requirement almost upon people mm. that you have to do these things if you to be a proper Christian? Mm. Yeah, and I think we need to be careful with that because they're not requirements, are they? Like attending church is something that should renew us and build us up. Mm. But it's not because we're required to go for some religious reason Mm. that's for sure Mm. i liked what paul said um in verse 19 because he really draws out that idea that that we were foreigners he says consequently you are no longer foreigners or strangers but fellow citizens with god's people and also members of his household and i have a little note written in my bible here that says the church is where we find belonging Mm. Just in that sense that God allowed us to to come in and be a part Mm. of his people, to be Mm. a part of his household. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think so. And so there's kind of two movements to this, I think. One is where the church itself in its own inner life becomes an expression of this, that we're all one in Christ Jesus and we seek to love each other with that inclusive love. But I think the, 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 the other step that maybe is even more challenging for us as Christians is then what does that look like in the way that we then treat people outside the church? And the role that we have in seeking to extend this kind of peace and reconciliation in the world. You know, we look at all the, all the divisions and the fractures that exist just in our own communities. And I think, you know, it's, it's for each of us to look around and say, well, I, I'm part of this new humanity. Are there ways, even in my, my neighborhood or um, whatever, at my kid's school, uh, you know, in our, in our city, that we can seek to be working towards reconciliation and working towards peace and and seeking to tear down the barriers and even if they are even if that work is among people that don't yet acknowledge jesus i think that's still the work of the church that's still the work of the church in the world to be about that uh, task of tearing down the walls Uh, it's not always easy to find the ways of doing that but i think it's really important that we start with acknowledging that we are all equal equally made in the image of god and christians should be the last people to ever have a condescending attitude towards other cultures, towards other uh, ethnicities, towards any other groups of people. There, there should just be no excuse for it in the church. That we need to start by being the most open-hearted and just seek to look for any opportunity that there is around us, I think, to work towards that kind of bringing people together rather than just allowing people to drift apart. It's a big task. Sure is, sure is. I think uh, rather than looking at it as the as the overwhelming task, it's just really what you're saying is mm. one-on-one as yeah. we move outside of our circle and, and meet our neighbors and mm. and just just actually have conversations with people. Yes, yeah. yeah. And, and just being aware of our tendency to, to drift back into the same old circles 
and the same old groups. Uh, and you have to make a conscious effort, I think, and, and, and I'm only just learning this, to move past that and seek to try to relate to, try to connect with people who are not like me and uh, and try to move across those those divides a little more. It's possible, but it just takes that intention. And it is a challenge too, isn't it? It's a challenge when somebody's challenging your thinking mm. and challenging where you came yeah. from and who you are. Yep, so, yep, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting. In our household at the moment, we have four nationalities living in our household at the moment. <laughs> mm. And it's just, it really brings home exactly what you've talked about is the fact that it, it takes a lot more effort mm. when you have people that are different than you mm. uh, in terms of the way that you communicate uh, both verbally and non-verbally, the things that I assume, uh, they don't necessarily assume. Yep. And, and I think it's the same with us as Christians as well, that we do always assume that people are the same as us. They see the world the same as we do. Mm. But other Christians and other non-Christians, we need to make a lot more effort to mm. show God's grace to mm. them mm. because mm. Uh, not everyone is like me. Yep, that's right. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Looking forward to what uh, Paul brings up in the next chapter three. Uh, Michael, I think you're up first with the next yeah, message. Sure yeah. so. This Sunday. Very good. Thank Peace you, up. guys. Thanks, Randy. Okay. Thank you.